Now, I don't have a vast experience of horses. I've been on horses. I've gone on rides. We took our daughter out for a ride, um, and that was an experience in itself because we didn't even get to go out on the ride. She was sitting on the horse, and the horse wanted to get out of the gate, and the horse decided to rub up beside the gate, and the horse forgot that Charlotte's leg was between the horse and the gate. And we had this massive little injury that we had to take care of and that ended our horse experience. And before then, Charlotte's had some great experience with horses. She went to this one park and where she, she got to ride the horse and she got to feed the horse and brush the horse and wash the horse and had this great time with the horse. And now she's a little bit apprehensive about horses. But horses come in all different shapes and sizes. And this might be a weird concept to start with, considering we're talking about Palm Sunday, but bear with me, it will all make sense, or hopefully it can make sense. They used to use horses for war. They used to call them war horses. And war horses were at least a couple of hands taller than a normal horse. How you measure a horse is by hands, and you put one hand on top of another hand on top of another hand, and that's how you measure a horse. And a war horse was greater in size than a normal horse. And then you would come to the king's horse. And a king, when he would choose his horse or when someone would choose his horse, he wanted the biggest horse. And the reason why he wanted the biggest horse is because he needed to sit above the others and everyone needs to be able to tell who the king was. And so they would choose the greatest horse. So you would have the king's horse, then you'd have a war horse, then you'd have a normal horse, then you'd have a donkey. And then you'd have this thing called the foal of the donkey. Right? The adolescent of a donkey. So you'd have different sizes of different beasts. And this is important to understand because it helps us understand what Jesus rode in on. Now today is Palm Sunday. This is the day that Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. William Penn said this, he said, No pain, no palm, no thorns, no throne, no gall, no glory, no cross, no crown. Today we acknowledge that this is the day that we celebrate, that we come together as the kids had their little palm trees and they were celebrating, that this is the day that we acknowledge Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of of a foal of a donkey. And before he rode in, Jesus actually told his disciples to go to this place, find a donkey, and then grab the foal of the donkey. So it wasn't even a full-sized donkey. Now I'll come back to it. There's a king's horse, a war horse, a normal horse, a donkey, and a foal of a donkey. It's important to understand that Jerusalem means city of peace. Although Jerusalem hasn't really experienced any peace. Not from its conception from the days of King David until now, it has been a city of war. And the story of the triumph entry of Christ riding on the foal of a donkey is found in all four of the Gospels. Every one of the Gospels has a different account or slightly different account of the entry of Christ within Jerusalem. And I'm going to read from John chapter 12. 
And this is our text today. If we can get it to go on. And it says, On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm tree and went out to meet him. And they began to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. It's important to understand that these people, these are the same people, right, who a week later will yell out, crucify him. These are the same people who witnessed the miracles that Jesus had done, right? Jesus had only the day beforehand risen Lazarus from the dead. They had experienced it. They had heard it. And this is the time when they hear that Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem. They grab their palm, palm fronds, right, with such joy, such conviction, right? And palm fronds represent victory, triumph, peace, and eternal life. They've put their cloaks on the back of the donkey for Jesus to ride on. Some of them are even laying their coats at the feet of the donkey to walk across and they're grabbing hold of their palm fronds, waving them in the air, shouting Hosanna. It's a great spectacle. And now when John is writing this Old Testament passage of this reference of what takes place, he adds in some Old Testament scripture into a New Testament passage. And then for some reason, he adds a single word before the Old Testament passage to write this and to bring reference to it. And this is what begins to make sense or begins to bring out an important truth. And there are three very important truths that I want to bring out from this passage, from this story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Remember that a week after this situation, probably actually it's less than a week, these same people that are yelling out, Hosanna, also yelling out, crucify him. And we go from palms to thorns in only a matter of a week. From Hosanna to crucify him only in a matter of a week. When Jesus was being who they wanted him to be, they gave him palms. They acknowledged him as the Messiah. And this is the first occurrence when they acknowledge him as Messiah. And this is what I'm going to get into because there's more to this than just him coming into the city of Jerusalem, them waving palm fronds around and shouting Hosanna. Their hope was that Jesus would save them from the tyranny of the Roman rule. Their hope was that when Jesus was coming as king, as the Messiah, the promised one who would deliver them from Roman oppression. When Jesus was being who they wanted him to be, they gave him palm fronds, right? When Jesus was being who they needed him to be, they gave him thorns. And the first truth in this passage is found in the word Hosanna. Hosanna. Now, most people will probably understand Hosanna as the word praise, but that's not. 
And it begins to make sense when you begin to understand what the actual word Hosanna means. Because it actually means save now. And when these children of Israel who had witnessed the miracles for themselves, who had heard the stories of who Jesus was, heard that he was coming in the city of Jerusalem, they proclaimed him as their king and they were shouting out the words, save now. Using the word Hosanna. And it's the first time the nation of Israel are referring to Jesus as their Messiah, as the promised king, the deliverer of, of, of Israel. And they are crying out, save us now. Save us from the tyranny. Save us from this Roman rule. Deliver us from our oppressors. And they were crying out for their miracle at this point in time. They were crying out, Jesus, save us. Jesus, save us. We're raving our palm fronts in triumph and in victory, believing that you will deliver us from our Roman rule. The second truth is found directly before the second Old Testament passage description that says, fear not. It's one of the most most used commandments, common commandments in the whole of the Bible. It appears 365 times, the word fear not. And it's one for every day of the year. Jesus has this, God has this funny way of doing things. But fear not is not a demanding command. It's not like some of the other commandments, thou shalt not. It's an invitational command to come away from fear, to fear not, that there is no reason to fear. And it begins the second prophetic passage that Jesus fulfills. The scripture talks about people crying out now, save us now, and with a response of fear not. But it's the third truth that begins to line it up and begins to make sense. Because at the moment you've got save us now or save now, fear not. But it's the third bit that makes sense. Remember, these people were believing, they were hoping that he was their king. The promised Messiah who would deliver them all. But the third truth is found in the very last, he says, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. And the easiest way to explain it is this, the third truth is not as we expect. Because kings do not arrive on donkey's colts. They choose the biggest, the most powerful, the most splendid horses, or they ride in on chariots with their company of entourage that goes before them proclaiming with trumpets and loud sounds saying the king is coming not with common everyday folk with palm fronds as he rides in on a donkey's colt Jesus did not come as they were expecting he did not come in pump and ceremony. He did not come with gold and with all the proper tatters and proper clothing, proper attire, or proper everything else 
He came as a common man seated on a donkey's colt. And it was in this that he was rejected. There is a reason why he came like this. And there is a reason why they decided to then a week later yell out the words, crucify him. He came on a donkey, a foal of a donkey, a colt of a donkey, the smallest of the small. Perhaps even if you look at the picture correctly, his feet as he was seated on this small donkey were dragging along the ground. And sometimes we can even look at this picture incorrectly because the Bible starts to begin to talk as you begin to understand through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John's account of this is the fact that they didn't just grab the colt of the donkey but they grabbed its mother as well. So there are two donkeys walking along and he's not even sitting on the biggest one, he's sitting on the smallest donkey, the colt. The foal of the colt or the colt of the donkey was walking with its mama. A humble position, but a position that Jesus chose. Most people, if we had the choice of coming into um, a city and we were going to be proclaimed, we would choose the greatest of all stallions. You know, I want the black one or the white one, right? I know if Aaliyah was choosing, it would be a unicorn. Right? With a rainbow mane. If my daughter had a choice, it would be this magnificent beast, you know, so white, maybe some glitter through it, so it sparkled. Right? I'm not even sure what my son might choose, but But we would all choose a stallion or something to, to show us, show who we are. I mean today. People arrive to events in limousines and fancy cars because we all want that pomp and ceremony, but not Jesus. Jesus arrives on the foal of a donkey, the lowest of the lowest. Jesus enters Jerusalem in an extremely humble position. And we can begin to miss the truth of God and what he's trying to teach us, because we misunderstand how God works, we begin to read the passage of scriptures through our own eye, through a Western eye, rather than looking at them as what Jesus is trying to tell us through the story. Jesus answered their prayers. He answered their cries when they were crying out, save us now. But not as they were expecting. And because he didn't answer them as they were expecting, it was only a week later that they were going to yell out, crucify him, crucify him. Where, what, what takes place in a person's mindset from one thing of, Hosanna, save us now, this is, this is the coming Messiah to, let's crucify him. I read this story again of Jesus' crucifixion to the point it just brings confusion because even at the point of them yelling out, crucify him, crucify him, f- um, I've forgotten his name now, mental blank. 
No, don't. They give him. They give the people an option to choose Jesus or choose a prisoner. And yet, out of their hatred for Jesus, they still choose a prisoner. And when you read the story of Barabbas and what he actually did, it's horrendous. It's like going, okay, you get to choose between Jesus and Manson or, or Jack the Ripper. Okay, let's choose Jack the Ripper. Let's choose someone who's gone around and committed murder, who's, who's brought up upheaval into our city over someone who's healed the sick and done nothing wrong. It's the most complexing story, but it's our mindset that sits in. And then I begin to read and I began to find this biblical passage in the Old Testament that begins to relay the habits of humanity. And in Psalms 107, you've got to bear with me because it takes a little bit. And I found all these passages of scriptures and they double up. Actually, the same account is given four different times. Here we go. Psalms 107 verse 4 to 5, it says, They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty, and their soul fainted within them. Verse 6, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distress. Verse 8 and 9, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of man, for he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. Verse 11 and 12. That's the first account. Verse 11 and 12. You're going to find this heaps. Because they had rebelled against the word of God and spurned the counsel of Most High, therefore he humbled their hearts with labor. They stumbled and there was none to help. Verse 13 to verse 14. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. Verse 15 to 16. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for the wonders to the sons of men, for he has shattered gates of bronze and cut bars of iron a certain. 17, 18, fools, because of their rebellious ways and because of their iniquities were afflicted, their souls had hoard all kinds of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Verse 19 to 20, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distress. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Verse 21 to 22, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. Verse 27, they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. 28, 29, you should know this one coming. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the seas were hushed. 31 to 32. Then then let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of his people and praise him in the seats of the elders. The Israelites cried out to God in their times of trouble. In their times of need, they praised him for the answer, but they quickly forgot to keep praising him. 
and God allowed trouble to come along their path and they repeat the cycle over and over and over and over again. In fact, if you want to read the passage of the Bible from cover to cover, you're going to find a constant, constant process of them going through the same cycle, them coming to the point of having need, them crying out to God, God delivers them, they thank Him, then they go into another need. And they quickly forget who their God is. How easy it is for us to repeat the same process. How easy it is for us to go through the same cycle where we forget who our God is. That because we forget who our God is, He allows circumstances to come upon our lives that we walk back into and have need back of Him and cry back out Him and say, God, deliver us. I mean, how many times does God have to deliver us, solve us from our problems that we learn to stop walking away from him. How many times do we have to go through the cycle of this never-ending, I praise you, I forget you, I praise you, I forget you. And it's not a foreign concept because it happens to us all the time. The children of Israel did the same thing. One week they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Save us now, save us now, deliver us from our, our oppressors. And the next week they're saying, crucify him. And sometimes we can take the smallest things for granted. Even this week I was sitting there talking to God during this whole process, going, trying not to die, right? It wasn't that bad. I'm just overdramatic, making it dramatic. It wasn't the most pleasant thing I have to admit, right? I don't wish it on anyone. And I'm sitting there going, God, what's, this, what's taking place? And he says, Peter, I want to make sure that you, you never, never forget to praise me. Sometimes our situations we go through in life, right? Yes, they can be by our hands doing, but sometimes God says, I've got to let this happen because I need you to bring you back into place. You've moved from me. You've moved from where you should be. And I know there'll come a point when you'll cry out to God, save us now. Save me from my situation Bail me out, God. And he does. And he bails us out on a constant, constant basis. Sometimes it doesn't come as we're expecting. Sometimes it will come as we're expecting. But he constantly, constantly is in this process of bailing us out. God delivers us from time to time. And we praise him for those answers. Oh, God delivered me from a miracle. God gave me a pay rise. God gave me this check. God gave me this. Yay! But I'll forget him next week. We go from highs to low, highs to low, highs to low. Some weeks we can depend on people to turn up in church. The next week they're going through their own problems and going through their own situations, which are now too big for them and too big for their situation, so they pull away. And then when it gets bad enough, then they start going, save me now, God, save me now. And God's saying, hey, hey. Stay in the flow. Stay in the river. Stay here. Why are you moving? Why are you wandering? Why are you getting over here and, and going over there? Because over here is a bright light. 
Stay in the flow. Because when you're in the flow, that's where I am. And when you're not wandering, when you're standing where you should be, I'm there. But we think, we think, oh, I can handle this. Do, 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 do. I've got to be honest with you, this week I, I made a decision and we had to tell the kids. I turned off Disney. And I was shocked by what I found out. And Disney had no apologies for what they said. And so I've decided Disney is not allowed in our house. They made the conscious decision that every movie they make will be not just homosexuality involved, but they will be actively pursuing LGBTQI in their movies. The, one of the, uh, quite a few of the executives are very outspoken homosexuals. Now, I don't have a problem with homosexuals, but when you're pushing your agenda onto my kids, I'm going to say no. And that's devastating because Disney is huge. But I've got to stay in that flow. I'm going to stay where God wants me because I, I can't be distracted over here with little things and then expect him to come through in my life in other things. Because we can reject him at one point in time and then expect him to answer us however we need him to. And when God doesn't come through as I expect him, here's another question. Do I give him thorns? When I don't get what I want, do I go, oh, give him thorns now? Do I go, oh, I won't pray this week because God didn't do what what I wanted him to do? Do we get angry at God or do we get disgruntled at God when he does not do as we want? Or do we give him our palm fonds? Do we give him our coats off our back, our very best? Do we give him everything that he needs to move in our lives? Do we cry out, save us now, only to give him thorns the next week? The truth is, Jesus saves. And there is no reason to fear, because Jesus saves. But quite often... He is not coming in the way that you expect. The children of Israel were looking for temporary answers. But what Jesus was bringing was a permanent solution. What they couldn't grasp was that his kingdom was not of this earth. His kingdom was of a heavenly kingdom. And what he was bringing was going to go beyond their temporary situation. Their temporary circumstances were they were oppressed by the Roman rules. They were oppressed by religion. And what Jesus was bringing in, what he was ushering in, is the Messiah, the coming king, was a permanent solution. An eternal solution. And so often or not, we miss the eternal solution because we're so fixated on our temporary circumstances. 
We need to praise him for his goodness, not only when he comes through for me in the way I want. We need to give him praise because he is God, not because he is my genie in a bottle that I shake up and I, and I and say the magic words when I need them to come through. He's God. And that doesn't change regardless of what takes place. He's God. He doesn't answer to me. I answer to him. He is the permanent solution for my temporary circumstances. Period. He is my permanent solution for my temporary circumstances. That means regardless of what I go through on this earth, which is temporary, he is my permanent solution. I have an eternal promise. Right? An eternal promise. But I live in a temporary moment. I have an eternal promise. But there is a temporary circumstances that I live in right now. Which means regardless of what takes place here, right? It should never ever, or I should never let it affect here. This is temporary. Because when I get into my, my eternity, right? When I get into heaven, whatever you want to call it, your New Jerusalem, um, the pearly gates, the throne room of God, whatever you want to call it, hey, my hands will be raised. But my face will be on the ground. My knees will be down, down, down. Because God says in his word that every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Not because they acknowledge who they are, because they walk into his presence and realize who they are standing before and they have no other option but to bow the knee. He is the permanent solution to our temporary circumstances. All the time, not just when it's convenient. And for us, we need to come to this place where we are living a lifestyle of thankfulness, a lifestyle of praise. Not just when he comes through, but even when he hasn't come through. Because the truth is, he already has come through. Because the day he walked into Jerusalem on the back of the foal of the donkey, the cold of the donkey, the teeny weeny donkey, right? When his legs or his feet were dragging across the bottom or he's hitched them up just above the neck or whatever it is. And he's come in this lowly, lowly position into the city of Jerusalem and the people are shouting and screaming because they have acknowledged who he is. Guess what? If you read Revelations chapter 19, the way that Jesus returns is not on a donkey. It's on a white stallion. And the way that Jesus will return will not be the same way he went into Jerusalem. He went in Jerusalem because he was like, I need you to understand that what you can see with your eyes is not how I move. What you make sense with your mind and the way you see is not the way I move. I move beyond that. I am outside of that. I am bigger than your circumstances and therefore if I only come in the way that you can see, I am not as big as I really am. And if you can grasp 
that I am bigger than your own understanding. And I can have the faith and have the trust in him that he is going to come through regardless of how I, how I imagine him to come through. Then I can give him the rightful place as he is my king. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. And he brings a permanent solution to a temporary circumstances. There is not a circumstances on this earth that cannot be served or cannot be solved by his permanent solution. He is bigger. He is bigger than all our circumstances. And sometimes what it requires from us is God save me now. God save me now. I want to stay in your flow. I want to stay in your presence. I want to stay close to you. Right, I thank you for the solution. I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you for how you're going to move. But I need you to keep saving me now. And I have no reason to fear. I have no reason to be distracted by what can take place. I have no reason to become wary of what might happen in my circumstances around me or the people around me because I'm in the flow. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I know that you are my permanent solution to my temporary circumstances and I have no need to fear. Fear not, for he is with me. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, he was not being stupid. Everything is meticulously planned with God. He understands the way we think. He knows how to move us. He knows how to show us, hey, the way you're expecting, mm, I'm going to do it differently. Because he's not about a formula. He's not about going, okay, A, B, C, D, and you get E. He's like A, B, C, and Z. P, and then C. Why? Because he's God. He's God. He doesn't work to functions. He doesn't work to our timing. He doesn't go, oh, I better hurry up. Pete really needs me. No, he doesn't do that. He says, you know what? This time. This time. We're going to pray. We're going to close the meeting. We have tea and coffee. There's morning tea. Next Saturday is our Easter event. We do encourage you to come and give us a hand. We do need little hands. Um... But it'd be a great day anyway. Come and we invite you to come along. Um, get involved. Be a part of this community. And let's affect this community. If you're unable to make it, I understand. Um, it's your loss. Uh, but we'll pray. We'll close the meeting. Stay for tea and coffee, morning tea. Dear Heavenly Father, Father, I thank you that you are a permanent solution to all of our temporary circumstances. And Father, I thank you that you are the promised Messiah, the promised King, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, that there is no one above you, that you are greater than all our circumstances. Father, we acknowledge your kingship. And we are so very thankful of who you are. We praise your name. 
and we give you all the glory. Bless us this week, guide us and direct us. We speak health and life on those people who are unable to be here today. Guide us in all that we do. Grant us wisdom beyond our own understanding. Open up doors of opportunities. Give us wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.